Today on Ag News Daily. That dollar, because we are up near uh, price points of 104, so we're talking prices on the dollar that we haven't seen for two decades. So just remember, when the value of the dollar is higher, it makes it less advantageous for other countries to import our products. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Grasshopper Mowers. Nothing gets in the way of hashtag mow day. Tanner, I need a mow day today, probably. Oh, you might be able to get a sunburn or a suntan. We finally got That's true. some sunshine and some heat. So it'd be a good day to go burn that base layer in. Yes. Start to get a little tan before my wedding so I don't look super pasty. All about the motivation. Yeah, that's it. It's not really exercise, right? But it is, you get a tan. Absolutely. For me, it's zero exercise because I just sit down Yeah. Uh, and let that go. But I suppose if you had a push mower, it would be exercise, but we have a riding mower, so no exercise. There you go. But yes, speaking of weather, uh, it seems like it's either feast or famine, Delaney. Uh, reported by Extreme Ag that uh, Arkansas is extremely dry. They need that million-dollar rain, and then they got one on Thursday. So positive last week that the Delta got some moisture, but then you look at us here in the Corn Belt Mm -hmm. and just recorded another two and a half inches at my house, Uh, have customers and Listeners that listen to this show in the area that had around that same two to two and a half inch spot, which we were just getting fit, ready to plant and now have another setback uh, with the ponds in the field and all of our rivers filled back up again. But as we just got done talking about, we have are going to be popping into an extremely warm stretch for the time of the period. And that is not a small piece of the area. So the U.S. Corn Belt now coming off of its coldest and wettest Aprils, will now hit some pretty high temperatures here in this week of May. Yes, I saw that news as well, Tanner. And we thankfully were able to have, I shouldn't say we, Blaine was able to have a really good planting day on Saturday uh, because it finally got dried out, warming up. And then it rained, of course, Sunday, yesterday, like you were talking about there, Tanner. I don't know how many inches we got, but probably not going to be in the field today, maybe tomorrow if it doesn't rain again. But yeah, certainly going to see some warm weather this week. However, the longer term forecast is still indicating some wet conditions. And, you know, I hate to talk about prevent plant, Tanner, but a lot of folks are asking that question In lots of areas of the U.S., including the Northern Plains and Northwest Minnesota, which are still uh, behind planting because they got a lot of heavy snow at the end of April, which is causing really wet ground there. In western North Dakota and parts of Canada, they saw massive snowfalls as well through the end of April, which has a lot of moisture still in the ground. And so starting to see some folks talk about potential prevent plant acres. And I think it's still too early to talk about prevent plant in Iowa, but if we do see some of those longer range forecasts come through with wet conditions again, I don't know how that conversation will uh, ramp up from there. I got 
uh, tangled up into the next article that I am going to report on because uh, I find the headlines quite interesting. So terrible segue, but we're heading over to China and Taiwan as they have implemented two different methods of handling the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. So coming out of Taipei, Taiwan, they are were going to pursue a zero COVID policy, the process of trying to eliminate infections, period. And they've been trying to do that for two years. Um, but now they Taiwan is looking at more of a shift to strategy of mitigation and not elimination. So despite, despite the soaring case counts, Taiwan is now allowing people with mild and asymptomatic infections to isolate at home versus in hospital and slash the number of days required for quarantine for travelers and those depicted as close contacts. They're moving this way into a coexisting with the virus campaign in Taiwan, where China is taking the opposite approach. They are doubling down. They have imposed even more stringent lockdowns, mass testing, centralized quarantines for confirmed cases, and Shanghai has been even more strict, making this punishing lockdown uh, is going to last for even a month into the future. So uh, we're talking about how will this affect agriculture? Well, people still have to eat, but if they aren't traveling, they aren't burning fuels, if they aren't doing recreation, uh, certainly creates less of a demand for those protein products and foodstuffs. That's interesting too, because it doesn't really seem like no or like a complete, you know, wipeout of COVID is possible? I don't think we will. It, to me, it seems like it's going to be a factor in our lives for quite some time. So um, if I was to be a country leader, I think I would choose to coexist, figure out a way to make our country still function rather than the Chinese version of let's lock down, shut it out and try to take it all the way to zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you there, Tanner. But Transitioning here to talk about a little bit of Ukrainian news, a lot of countries, well, I should say Russia and Ukraine, of course, but the EU is still kind of deciding what to do, but they are, it sounds like Tanner, moving closer toward a ban completely on Russian energy, which has certainly sparked some excitement in crude oil and natural gas prices these last couple of days. We also, as of today, have an update on the amount of acres that have been planted in Ukraine. So far, they're at about 17.2 million acres of spring crops planted so far, which is about 25 to 30% less than they were this time last year, according to Ukraine's ag minister. So certainly are chugging right along, but definitely behind pace. The ag minister also said that the country exported nearly 1.1 million metric tons of grain in April. And so he highlighted the importance of exports of Ukraine via railway because, of course, Russia is still blocking Ukrainian ports. So I don't know, Tanner, I didn't look up what that export number is compared to normal years, but at least they are still able to get some crops out of the country to those other countries that they certainly feed. Yeah, I saw that, those those articles that you had written. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's very positive news. And we, it appears to be factual news, but... Um, certainly calling to try and get those ports of entry and export reopened so we can kind of 
diminish the potential effect that this battle has on global food supplies uh, and global economy. Although we know that that is part of the penalty for trying to cripple one nation's financial and economic stability is to also eliminate its ability to support and generate trade partners during that time period. But when you were talking about fuel, uh, I had remembered a headline from this morning. So I grabbed that. The U.S. Department of Energy announced that it is going to start buying oil to restock the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, the SPR. Even though gas prices have skyrocketed, uh, the United States has tried to tap this reserves to help boost our own oil supply in the market to keep those prices tempered. The Department of Energy will call for bids on 60 million barrels of oil come the fall of 2022. However, they don't expect to take deliveries until fiscal year 2023. They hope that this will take place when future oil prices are down and demand is expected to be lower. So quite an interesting approach of let's use it now and bank on the future lower prices. Because if we end up with higher prices during this bid period, uh, restocking our reserves isn't going to look so good. No, it certainly isn't, Tanner. And before I get to my next piece of news here, let's take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor, Grasshopper Mowers. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mow Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on that Grasshopper Mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Well, again, a big thank you there to Grasshopper Tanner. I saw this interesting piece of news, and our good friend of the podcast, Corey Hillebo, I'm sure has the inside scoop on it. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, it is those John Deere Bushlight cans, Tanner, that have just finally hit the marketplace. Have you seen these? Oh, absolutely. They... uh they did. They had the official Iowa release, Central Iowa release this morning at the John Deere Works in Altoona. They, uh, I don't want, I wonder if people will actually drink them or if these are going to become mm. collector items. That's an interesting question. I feel like a whole case worth is probably not worthwhile to save unless you were going to like, <laughs> you know, have them for a special occasion. But I'm curious too, will they be limiting the amount that people can buy? Otherwise, I could see some farmers stocking up and buying pallets of beer. Yes, I would assume there has to be a limit, but uh, yes, also having a conversation with Corey, it sounds like there's been no shortage of preparation for the <laughs> excitement that this rollout is going to bring, um, and, and kind of a fun campaign when you look at the, the trucks and display is they've got the For the Farmers, which is your John Deere can, For the Hunters, which is uh, the can that comes with camo and orange, and For for the everybody, which is the regular Bushlight can. So mm -hmm. quite a strategic marketing campaign. Well, and I don't think this message was quite as uh, well, well explained because people are just so excited to get these cool cans. But Bushlight and John Deere are actually using, I don't know if it's all of the funds, but at least a portion of the funds that people buy with these cans are going to benefit 
Farm Rescue, which is a nonprofit that provides aid to farmers who've experienced hardship. I know we've probably seen those stories on social media of farmers getting in accidents or having some sort of medical emergency or a death in the family. And Farm Rescue steps in and finds volunteers to help get them through harvest or planting or whatever season they happen to be in. So kind of a cool background story that's going on there as well. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think that that's made headlines as large as it could. And maybe there'll be a campaign coming down the pipe, uh, but that is a great cause for two large corporations to meet up with and work on together. Yes. What we could use a little bit more help on is the bird flu, Delaney. Mm -hmm. Now, as reported coming out of Des Moines, Iowa, the bird flu isn't as bad this year because of Iowa's response ag officials are saying. So the current outbreak of the highly contagious avian influenza has affected far more flocks and states this year than the last outbreak seven years ago. But the number of birds that have been cold have been fewer. So this comes back to the comparison to what Secretary Vilsack was saying versus our predictions of how fast the numbers were rising. So in 2014-15, we have reported more than 50 million birds were destroyed um, but this year, Iowa accounts for about a third of the 37.5 million that have been cold so far. So still, still below the 50, Delaney. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship here is patting themselves on the back, saying that they're extremely pleased with their ability to respond quickly and control this erratic disease. Um, of course, we know that it's not gone. Uh, warmer temperatures are certainly going to help, as we learned from conversations that we've had um, but it still doesn't go to say that this isn't widespread you know like we talked about it's in more states than it was during that last campaign seven years ago but we're keeping the cold numbers lower right yeah but we're also seeing lots of other states report new cases so there is the potential i feel like to continue to spread pending weather yeah and i I don't disagree. I think everything spreads faster now, not just viruses, but news. So there's probably (laughs) some very strategic comparisons to uh, how fast farmers in other states are taking precautions to make sure that they do what they can to try and keep it out of their flocks. But uh, before we jump into the next story, Delaney, let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor this week, Grasshopper Mowers. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mow Day... Perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Well, Tanner, my final piece of news for today, I missed this on Friday, but Agco has announced as of Friday that they had a ransomware attack at a few key agricultural locations. And they said that that was affecting operations at some of their production facilities and dealer facilities, and that tractor sales had been stalled during the crucial planting season because of some of these ransomware attacks that they've been having at some of these facilities. I don't know. I haven't seen an update on whether or not that's been buttoned up as of yet. But uh, they were working to repair their system on Friday morning. Didn't know yet if any data was stolen. 
but they were still evaluating the extent of that attack. Interesting. I missed that one completely as well, but hopefully they get to the bottom of it and we know what type of risk has been put into the ag industry. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as you continue to look at easy ways to infiltrate the U.S. system, food and fiber obviously has become one of the major threats for uh, potential terrorists or attackers. So certainly not surprised by this news. No, and it just presents more and more risk and haven't reported on them until just now. But it is interesting to see articles pop up of what hackers have done to Russia during this conflict. You know, I don't know what to believe, but it certainly creates another element to warfare when you look at how systems can be jeopardized like that. Absolutely. Well, I didn't have any further news. Do we want to hit markets before we jump into our conversation today or jump right into our expert analyst? Yeah, let's do it, Tanner. We certainly had an ugly day today in the commodity markets as we saw right across the screen today. May corn, or excuse me, July corn down 11 and three quarters cents to close at 7.73. The D's down 10 to close at 7.10 and three quarters. And of course, we have a WASDI report coming out on Thursday this week. We'll be sure to get Naomi Bloom's take on that here coming up in just a moment. July soybeans down 33 and a half cents at 15.88 and a half. November beans down 21 and three quarters cents to close at 14.49. Wheat lower today as well with the Chicago May, Chicago July contract down 16 and a half cents to close at 10.92. The D's down 13 and a quarter to close at 10.99. And hard and spring wheat were down as well today. Livestock finished mixed on the day as June live cattle up 80 cents to close at 133.55. The August up two pennies closing at a buck 35. Feeder cattle were lower today as the August contract shed 47.5 cents to close at 174.22. The September down 72.5 cents to close at a buck 77. And lean hogs lower today as well with the June contract giving up $2.80 to close at 101.30. The July down $2.85 to close at 104.20. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. June today down 68 cents to close at 23.78. The July down 52 cents to close at 23.58. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Naomi Bloom. Well, folks, as promised, chatting with Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, how is planting going up in your neck of the woods? Well, we finally, finally, finally saw some planters rolling where I'm at in Wisconsin over the weekend with some scrambling this morning before the thunderstorms come tonight. But, you know, I have a lot of clients who have said, you know, a year ago I was done already, and now they're only just getting started. So the slow pace to planting is everywhere in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So it'll be so interesting to see how the crop progress ratings come out this afternoon you know, does trade say, well, it's better than last week and there's still a chance to get it planted? Or does it actually look at the specific breakdown and actually see that Iowa and Illinois are probably really behind? And that's kind of a big deal when you look at the big picture with the markets. Yeah, no kidding. And it seems crazy that we're already talking about prevent plant, but I read a couple of stories. I've had a couple of farmers uh, mention it on Twitter and talk to me about it. When is really the conversation going to turn to how many acres we lose to prevent plant? Well, I think back to 2019 and the market did not wake up and prices start to rally until 
going into that um, end of the third week of May and definitely the fourth week of May. And then prices shot up higher because that was the final incentive of for a farmer. Okay, am I going to plant it and try to you know take advantage of any prices that are out there for a potential rally? Or do I take the prevent plant? And with as high as input costs are, I have also been hearing of a lot of farmers who are considering prevent plant if they can't get the crop planted soon. So it's definitely a topic that people need to be aware of. Would there be any connection to the later we get the less bullish soybeans are? You know, we reported that obviously we're down today. We sold off uh, quite a bit last week, but you know, the later we get, are farmers going to be switching more acres to soybeans and will that have an impact on the soybean price? Uh, I think that's part of the reason why soybeans have sold off so much is because some of some people are assuming that soybeans are going to potentially gain additional acres. And so we're starting to price that into the equation already. So it'll be interesting to see what all is said and done um, when we get the calendar flipped a few more days here and especially once we figure out what uh, is in the ground right now and then of course next or this week already Thursday's USDA report depending on where they put ending stocks I mean that might be something in and of itself that makes prices rally in addition to our late planting schedule that we have right now. Naomi I'm glad that you mentioned this week's WASD report. Are we expecting any big surprises and what's total farm marketing's outlook for the WASD report? You know, I think that when I was looking at pre-report estimates, uh, because they finally came out today, um, it seems like people have a little bit of a cooler head versus last year at this time. I mean, last year at this time, I remember people were like, oh, the ending stocks are just going to get tighter and tighter and prices are going to go higher forever. And right now they're looking for um, some tighter carryout for the old crop numbers, but not too much tighter than where they were pegged already in April. And as far as the new crop goes, everybody knows the USDA is going to start out with a really big yield number, and we know that they're going to be using the March acre numbers. So you can kind of pencil out where new crop ending stocks would be. So we've been pricing some of that into the market already. That's why we've had this pullback for the past um, week and a half here with markets. And what we've been seeing, because we are not overbought going into this report like we were a year ago, we're going to be at a kind of a level of equilibrium so we can actually freely trade whatever the market news is from the report and uh, I think be able to have more of a, well, for lack of a better expression, like a pure response versus just a funds are trading computers and the computers are taking over response. I'm, um, I think this year is different when you also have the nine commodities that have the tight ending stocks and we have the Russia-Ukraine situation not figured out yet. We're, not, we're going to be scrutinizing old crop numbers, new crop numbers, global numbers. And we're going to finally get a better picture from the USDA on what they think Ukraine is going to be planting, harvesting, and potentially exporting to the world. And it's a more of a global report picture that we have to be watching as well. I'm glad that you brought up globally because it seems like there's a lot of headlines right now going around the South American new crop production. Um, I'm assuming that that also is one of those markets that we need to watch to see what type of influx we may have coming from there. Yeah, absolutely. Second crop corn down in Brazil, um, you know, it's been kind of hotter and drier down there. And there's been some thoughts that their crop is a little bit smaller than initially anticipated. It's not anything like as dire of, as their soybean situation has been. 
But when the world has been needing everybody in the world to have a big, big crop, the fact that Brazil is not is ultimately going to be supportive to prices. And then you have the fact that because our crop is late getting planted, it lessens our ability to have a record crop and record yields. So all these pieces in the puzzle are still getting into place where weather is going to be a huge factor going forward. Of course, keeping an eye on demand um, going forward is important. And then outside markets, too, they're um, as much of an influence on this in this right now as well. So lots of pieces coming together. But Thursday's report day is going to be, I think, pretty big deal. It's going to be a, a pretty big market mover. So Naomi, how are you suggesting folks square up ahead of that report? You know, actually, uh, last week on Monday with my clients, I had put out a voice broadcast recommendation to get short for the short term because we are seeing some topping signals on charts. Uh, started lifting some of those hedges this morning because the market got down to support levels I was watching for. Um, and going into the report, here's the flat out answer. You can't outguess it. So you have to really understand your personal farm situation. There are folks who in the past week were very aggressive on old crop sales. And so now their situation is such that they would want to do a re-ownership strategy heading into that report. Then there are others yet who haven't made cash sales for whatever reason. So they're going to want to have like a defensive mindset. And again, because we're not overly overbought going into this report like we were a year ago, we are free to trade and respond to whatever the news is that the USDA gives us. And then along with traders are so aware that weather is so influential and important this year, we're going to be keeping an eye on that as well. That leads me to my last question is we've now talked South American crops. We've talked Ukraine. We've talked weather and we've talked the WASDE report. Did we miss anything that's an important factor for our listeners to be watching? Well, continue to keep an, a value, um, an eye on the value of that dollar because we are up near um, price points of 104. So we're talking prices on the dollar that we haven't seen for two decades. So just remember when the value of the dollar is higher, it makes it less advantageous for other countries to import our products because of currency exchange rates. So we want to keep an eye on what our exports are doing. Is it something where because the world is so low on global supplies that they come in and buy our product anyway because we're the only game left in town? Or does the value of the dollar affect things? And then, of course, with the inflationary talk, uh, with the Fed's raising interest rates, crude oil wanted to raise higher this morning. It got over 110 and now is backed off to 103, so a huge trading range today. So those outside market influences are factors as well. So it's um, one of those things where you have to be aware of all of these moving parts at all times. Right now, they're kind of equally balanced. And if you look at charts, you can see how crude oil is on a long-term uptrend. You can see how corn and beans are still on long-term uptrends, and so is wheat. But we've been testing all of those levels. So we need constant bullish news to make the market keep working higher. And then again, remember, of course, as you know, if we can't feed the bull, sometimes prices just edge a little lower. One last thing to be aware of. Seasonally, it is kind of normal for corn and bean prices to slide lower the first two weeks of May but then they do have a tendency to work higher starting the last week of May and into the June WASD report. And then a lot of times that's your, some of your best prices in the year. So just be aware of that as well. Yeah. And that really 
should present farmers who haven't marketed ahead, hopefully to know what is going in the ground and uh, be able to make some of those marketing decisions. Naomi, final question for you as you look at that time here, end of May, beginning of June, when seasonally prices tend to hit their highest mark, how aggressive should farmers be? Where should they be at as far as marketing goes? Yeah, I would say by that June USDA report, you're going to want to be 50% sold cash if you're comfortable with that, with what's happening in your backyard. And then you're going to want to be looking at, I think, put strategies to get you closer to three quarters or almost 100% sold to ride it down into fall harvest lows. Because when you look back Every year, those seasonals have a tendency to work. In 2012, it was, of course, a bit of the exception. But otherwise, usually by 4th of July, the party is over and prices drift lower into late August or early September. Uh, so I, I would say that even though we have you know, these tight-ending stocks globally, the seasonals still play out. And what we're going to find out, depending on how our crop is this year, um, as far as how big of a pullback we can have. And so that I can't tell you quite yet until we mm-hmm. get the rest of the pieces and the pace of the puzzle. Um, but it's an exciting market. And as a business people, you need to definitely be thinking of the value of the bushels that are in front of you. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today. These Market Mondays are even more important as the volatility continues to be there. If somebody listening wants to get a hold of you or check out the resources that you have available, how can they find you? Yeah, give me a call at Total Farm Marketing. The number is 800-334-9779 and just ask for Naomi. Or you can find me on Twitter, shoot me a DM. My handle is at Naomi Bloom. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Naomi. Certainly always a pleasure to have her on the podcast, Tanner. Yeah, I still stand by my words. I think Market Mondays are extremely crucial. It's a good way to get some information early in the week, help us make some decisions as we go, and for me to continue to learn along the way. That's true. We're glad you're learning. (laughs) We're not going to talk at what pace, but I'm still learning. Okay, that's fair. What do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Thank <laughs> you.